Most of the time. Say what? See, Santa's a Jesus substitute. Definitely, definitely so. All right. All right, so most of the time in the Christmas season, in the season of Advent, a good pastor will, will ask these questions or will put it out in a sermon in some ways. All right, so I've done my job. We're not going to talk about Christmas at all anymore today, really, in some ways. So I just had to get that in so, so you would know, all right? But think about it. Most of the time, these are, and, and I think these are good questions. We, we talk about Advent. We talk about Christmas. There's only four weeks on the, on the church calendar to really talk about this in some ways. I always want to do, let's do Christmas in July. Let's, let's expand it out for, for, a, for a long time. And these are good questions. I'm not knocking that at all. So please hear my heart. What is Christmas to us? What's Christmas to you? It's, it's, that, it's a good question to ask. And we really should be asking this about every season of our life. What is Easter to us? What is resurrection to us? What is Monday to us? What is the weekday to us? We should really be asking these questions all the time. So the purpose of this question or questions is to get us to think about why we do what we do. And I mean, I love this time of year um, for various reasons, not necessarily all for the Christmas season, but it, but sometimes the schedule kind of mixes up a little bit, uh, maybe gets a little bit busier because you've got Christmas parties or, or end of the year stuff or there's busyness because you're trying to cram things in. But, but it, it's a fun time to stop and, and relax maybe a little bit. And I almost see this season as the new year. I know we get to January 1st as the new year, but to me, December 1st is almost the beginning of the new year or right after Thanksgiving because in this season, there's a theme of newness. The other reason we do this is just, just to be reminded of why we celebrate and what we celebrate in this season. It should be Christ. It should be Jesus. And we all have different traditions, I'm sure. But sometimes we maybe need to examine some of those traditions and say, why am I doing this or why do we do this? Is it just because we've always done it or does it give glory to God? And maybe there's some things you need to cut out and maybe there's some things you need to put in that would be new and fresh and along the way. Uh, we always mix it up, it seems like, every year, depending on travel schedule and family and different things. And so um, that's good. But there's nothing knocking even the, the traditions that you do, but just asking yourself those questions. And so, as I said, we're not going to talk a lot about Christmas. Now I'm backing off my words, all right? We're going to talk about any Christmas. Now I'm saying we're not going to talk a lot about Christmas. When you read the story, the Advent story, the Christmas story, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. John the Baptist, uh, you know, Elizabeth uh, not being able to conceive, and then all of a sudden she's carrying John the Baptist. Mary has this visitation from Gabriel the angel, which in itself is just an amazing story that, that sometimes it's so fresh, to, not fresh, it's so familiar to us that we don't understand the implications of an angel coming and visiting Mary. Can you imagine an angel visiting you, what your, what your response would be? I mean, I would... I don't know what I would do. It would scare me to death, maybe is a, a good thing to say that. Um, but then this big star appears in the sky, and the Magi find it. Even before that angels visit the shepherds in the field, Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem. They can't find any rooms, and so they end up in a barn, basically. Jesus laying in a manger. There's so many beautiful things, and you have Ananias, um, and who was the prophetess? Anna, right? Yeah, Ananias, and, and no, not Ananias, Simeon. Simeon and Anna, um, as Jesus is brought to the temple on the eighth day to be circumcised, and, and just the prophetic words and, and, the, and the acknowledgement that the Messiah is here. It's so beautiful in so many ways. 
But to me, the theme that comes out, or one of the themes that comes out, as I've already said, is newness or new life. And that's what I want to talk about more than anything this morning, is, is the idea of newness and new life. And the time leading up to the birth of Jesus, we may be familiar with it, but at a political level, at an emperor-type level, ruling level, Caesar was ruling. Caesar Augustus at the time was ruling basically the world. The Roman Empire stretched from England to India, modern-day England to India in its prime. And, and Caesar's leading up before even Augustus, they, they had a heavy hand, a very iron fist, dictatorship, authoritative, that you're going you're gonna to submit to our rule and our authority or we're going to make you do it in some way. Caesar Augustus kind of extended this, but he also changed his name, I believe, from Octavius. Is that right, Andrew? Man, I love having historians in the room and, and all these people. From Octavius to, to Augustus, which means like godlike, that in the image of God. So he wanted to appeal to the people, hey, I'm God. So yeah, I'm going to rule with an iron fist in some ways, but I also want you to revere me as a God, which may bring a little more respect. Whether that worked or not is, is not the point. But regardless, there was this heaviness over the land, and especially over Israel, there was a heaviness that was there. And besides or despite the heaviness, people still lived a normal life, quote-unquote normal, however you would, you would define normal. And the way I'm talking about it is they would eat, they would drink, they were, they were having babies, they were getting married, they were working, they were going about life in a routine way. We saw this in China under the communist rule that you, you had this false sense of freedom that was there. People would just come and go and, and they'd be in the marketplace buying their food or, or they would be watching TV, all these things that we would experience here. And you get this idea, hey, they're just as free maybe as we are. And then all of a sudden something would happen and you would realize, oh, yeah, there's a wake-up call. There, there's people are watching type thing. So the Israelites lived kind of under that. They knew that the, the emperor, that Caesar was watching, that Caesar was ruling. But at the same time, there was a normal part of life. The children played games. Um, art, artifacts show they played even some of the games that we, we played. Um, what is it? Jacks and hopscotch and certain things along those lines. Men and women, families were eating People were working. There was tradesmen. There were carpenters. There were tailors. They were going about life, and they could pass the baton on to their children who would grow up and have children, who would grow up and have children, and they could be successful. They, they, all these things were going on. The mundane was happening. It was safe. It was secure. It was the responsible thing. But then Jesus comes into the world, and from the moment he came into the world, and even before he came into the world, he began to shake up the world. And you see how he begins to shake things. The normal things begin to shake to where it's uncomfortable. It's maybe not as safe. Maybe the mundane is not so much the mundane anymore. And I kind of wrote down this, this thing in, in the sense that as it, from the very beginning, there was a shaking. That this angel appears to the shepherds and begins to change the life of the shepherds as they came to visit Jesus. The star appears in the sky and the magi come to Herod, and, and Herod is, is frightened by the words of the Magi, and he kills a bunch of babies. And then um, they go and they visit Jesus, the Magi do, and, and it just, you know, it says that Mary treasured the words and all this in her heart. The world was beginning to shake, and that's what Jesus does, is he shakes things. He makes all things new. There's newness and freshness. And he did this throughout his whole ministry. Think about how the disciples were just fishing, sitting in the boat fishing. 
And Jesus said, come follow me. Can you imagine sitting at your cubicle tomorrow and someone walks in and says, hey, come follow me? Would you do it? Now, I know it's not exactly the same thing, but it's, it's very similar. These disciples said, yes, we, we will go. Think about the lady, the woman at the, the well, the Samaritan, who, who had her life shaken and changed because of interaction with Jesus. Or the man on the mat in Luke 5 who's carried, the paralytic who's carried to Jesus and lower down. Not just his life was changed, but his friends and those around. Jesus is in the shaking business. And he believes, I believe he wants to shake our lives for good. Not necessarily for bad. You know, we, we talk about being uncomfortable. We talk about being not on edge, but being at a place where God can use us. Now, I want to say there is a comfortability, there is a safety in God that we embrace. There's a protection. There's a provision. There's all that that we embrace with God. But there's also the other side, and, and there's almost an irony or a dichotomy that we, we always f- find living as Christians where God wants us to continually be dependent upon him and living in a place of uncomfortability, of it not being safe, for us to say, okay, Lord, stretch me, shake me, and use me. Now, I don't like to pray those prayers. I don't know if anyone else loves every morning I'm praying these prayers. Maybe you're praying it for me. Please stop. Pray for yourself. (laughs) But he's in the shaking business. And in this Advent season, to me, the theme that comes out, as I've already said, is one of newness and breaking out of that normal rut of life. To me, this is the new year. There's a new freshness because God is with us. And because God is with us physically incarnate, but also in a spiritual way, it's time for us to examine what we're doing. And so I want to look at Kings chapter 19, verses 19 to 21. And this is the calling of Elisha by Elijah. Why we have two prophets named so similar isn't it confusing sometimes? So we'll call Biggie and Little E just to make it easier, right? <laughs> so Biggie left there. No. Verse 19. Elijah left there and found Elisha as he was plowing. Twelve teams of oxen were in front of him, and he was, and he was with the twelfth team. Elijah walked up by him and threw his mantle over him. That always bothers me. Am I in the right place? Okay, I see it right there. Elijah left the oxen, ran to follow Elijah, and said, please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. Now, Elijah didn't have to tell Elisha to come follow me or come. It's just the mantle was thrown on, and he knew. And that's why I said in the beginning, I think God is speaking to us. Not to say through a song or through what I write down on a piece of paper, but I do think there's a theme of, that he's getting to of all things new for us individually and even as a, as a body, as a spiritual body. Elijah, Elisha, says, or Elijah says, go on back, he replied, for what have I done to you? So he turned back from following him and took the team of oxen and slaughtered them. With the oxen's wood, oak, and plow, he cooked the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he left and followed Elijah and served him. Now, I believe this is us in a lot of ways. This story tells a lot about who we are. Now, Elisha was living a very good life, not necessarily a materialistic life, but he was living a life that would be honorable 
to, to culture, and it would be honorable to society, it would be honorable to God. He was an agricultural boss, I guess you could say. He, he was successful in agriculture. He was plowing the fields. He, he probably was a guy who left, as the law says, um, some of the stuff in the field so those who didn't have could come and glean, and then they would have food. He was probably well-respected at the city gates. He probably had a, a, a nice family. He probably had a nice house. He was living the Hebrew dream like we sometimes live the American dream. And at the end of the day, when he stood before the Lord, I think the Lord would have said, hey, good job. But would he have said, well done, good and faithful servants? And there's nothing wrong in standing before God and hearing, good job. But I think there's more that God has for us many times to where we stand before him and we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And this isn't anything to, to put a burden on us in any way, but it's for us to stop and, 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 and reflect or meditate and say, God, what are you doing in my life? Because what Elisha could have done here is he could have lived his past into his future if he wanted to. And at the end of the day, he would have been successful and fine. But he came to a place where God was moving and God was shaking through someone else. God always works in different circumstances and he said, you know, I'm going to let my future take a different direction. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. But it's going to be rewarding as well. So Elijah responded. You know, I think for all of us, if, if we polled th- this room, we would all say, hey, we want a fresh, new, hopeful future in some form or, or fashion. Personally, we want something new. We want something fresh. We're, we want to have hope for something. Uh, career-wise, uh, in our society, all, all areas, or at least one of those areas, we would say, yes, we want that. But you know it takes great work. It takes hardship. It takes challenge. It takes fighting through a lot of things to get to places. See, we live sometimes in a place where we want the rewards today. We want it without the battle. We want it without the, the fight. We want it without these things. At the end of his life, uh, Elijah's life, when God's getting ready to take him up, he, he tells Elijah, you stay here. And, and, and all the prophets knew what was getting ready to happen. He said, no, I'm going to follow you. He could have stayed at, I think Gilgal was the first place. He said, you stay here. He said, no, I'm going to follow you. And then, and then they went to Bethel. And he's told him the same thing at Bethel. You stay here. And, and, and Elijah said, no, I'm going to follow you. And then he crossed over the Jordan in, into, the, into the wilderness, basically. And he went with him. And at the end, he said, what do you want from me? He said, I want a double portion. And he said, if you can see me as I'm taken up, you've asked a hard thing, you will certainly have it. Now, I was thinking about this in my own personal life and and the way that I operate many times is is I think I would have stayed at Gilgal and said, hey, hey, can you send me that double portion when, when you're ready to go up to heaven? But see, and I know it's a subtle thing, Elijah went through these hardships, I guess you could say, or through the journey, maybe is a better way, with with his with his mentor, to get to the place where the double portion came. See, I think we all in this room, to some capacity, were conflicted because we want something more. We want something else. We want God to shake. We want God to move. But also we know it's not going to be an easy road to walk. And we love comfort. Who doesn't love comfort in some ways to, on a cold day to come home and get warm and crawl up under a blanket and watch TV or eat, a, eat ice cream or, or whatever it may be? We're, we're people of comfort. We like that. But with God, we can't always embrace the comfort in a way that we want. That, hey, I'm here, I'm arrived. 
we can. And we can live it out at the end of our lives. We stand before God, and I believe he will say, hey, good job. Nothing wrong with that. But I think he will show us there was more that he had for us. We can certainly extend our past, and we can do what we normally do day in and day out into our present and on into our future. And we'll arrive, and God will be blessed by that. But I believe he has more, and he wants to say, well done, good and faithful servant. We stand conflicted because we want this, but we also know it's, it's, it's hard. It's going to take some work. It's going to take, take dying to ourselves. I was thinking about the one song, the Michael W. Smith song. You guys know Michael W. Smith's going to be here this week, right? I saw the sign at Westover Church this morning. Um, like a rose. I was thinking about the image of a rose because we had some flowers on, on our uh, table this week, and I heard Ella say or, or Addie say, those the roses are wilting, or the flowers, they want roses. I was thinking about a rose. When it wilts, it begins to die. And I don't know if the imagery of the song is like this, but I was thinking personally, at what times and what places or what areas do I need to wilt, do we need to wilt, basically, to die and allow God to take over? We stand conflicted many times because we want certain things, but God has something even greater. He's throwing his mantle upon us. He's shaking us in some form or fashion. In this Advent season, what needs to change for you? You know, I love Christmas. We all love Christmas probably. There's different things. What needs to change that we don't go through the same thing at the end of the season? We pack everything up and we move on and we forgot something or we've missed something that God wanted to speak to us in some way. What's the way that we celebrate or way it's reconciling with someone or, or what's proclaiming his message to someone around us or something else. But to me, there's a bigger picture here as we come in into a new year, into a new place. And we'll probably have to look at 2018, January 1st, to really get the, the impact of this. But for us to begin to think, Lord, what are you wanting to change in my life as we come into this new year, as we come into this new place? What are you shaking in my life? What relationships may you be shaking? What things am I setting my hand to might you be shaking and doing something new? What direction are you changing in some form or fashion? and taking me in a different direction. We can always extend our past into the next year, and we can look back to, to three or four years ago, and we can see how we've extended our past into our present, and that's where we're at now. But the Lord may be saying to us, change the direction. Let me change the direction. Begin to take a risk. Begin to step out. Begin to do something different. Begin to embrace that there's some newness that's coming. And newness is not always comfortable, but embrace it. What are those things that, that you need to change? What, what things do you need to do? Now's a good time to begin to ask God. And as we come into our time of prayer and fasting, also I think he'll speak to us more and more. But I think also, this isn't just at an individual level. I think there's a corporate level that this extends to. I think it extends to PIC as a church, and I think it even extends to the church itself in America. I think change must come to the church in different ways. We're already seeing change. Every, every other generation probably experiences somewhat of a, of a major shift in the way church is done. You can look back two or three generations, and it's the hymn generation, right? That's why contemporary services sometimes in, in, in churches that have an older population are, are not going well because they don't like it. That's not the way we did it in the old days, that type of thing. But there was a shift that took place. There was a shift that took place in the 70s from denominationals, um, churches to more non-denominational charismatic because it was just a shift. 
God's always shifting in some ways, but I believe he's shifting the church, that the way we do church is changing. We already glimpses of that. Millennials themselves, they, it's different, and, and, and it's good because it brings freshness and newness. We have to begin to embrace that we don't always do it the same way, that we open our doors on Sunday morning and people are going to come. Sometimes we have to go out and be the church. If not, we should always really be going out and being the church. Even the way we do Sunday morning has to change. It's not always worship songs and, and fellowship and a sermon. It has to change in different ways. And so the Lord's going to begin to change some things here, I believe. And as, we, and as he does, I think we're going to be prepared for major shifts in, that's going to happen within church culture here in this country, here in, 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 in the local community as well. Are we willing to embrace a shaking in our own lives? Are we willing to embrace what God may be doing in the church? That he may be doing some things differently. The things that we've held on to that we love, where it be long sets of worship, and there's nothing wrong with that in any way. But, but maybe attention span doesn't, doesn't hold for 45 minutes or an hour in worship anymore. Maybe having a sermon where one person's speaking the whole time doesn't hold water anymore. Maybe more voices have to share or speak or do dialogue or, or conversation or different things like that. We want to be open to what God might be doing. We might want to be open to what, what God may be leading us into in different ways. And so as I've prayed, and I just want to kind of lay a few things out here more at a surface level, but I believe he's asking us all to kind of embrace some of this, is for us to be ready and given our diversity, is we have to continue to build relationship, I think, with each other in a lot of ways. And I think one of our weaknesses at PIC is that we don't build relationship like we should. There's 168 hours in the week. We gather for two hours many times, and that's the extent that we, we spend with each other throughout the week. Now, I know there's people who have coffee, and they, they fellowship, or they text. There's lunch. There's different things like that. But as a body in, in of itself... Do we build those relationships? There's other factors. I know some people live an hour away or, or 30 minutes away or, or, or different schedules take place or even more than an hour away. What can we do to foster relationships in a greater way? We're already trying to do this some by having these fellowships before church or after church. And so what we'd like to do is continue to have these fellowships before church or after church, not next week, but the week after, December 17th, our dessert fellowship. We're going to spend time afterwards eating dessert. Who doesn't like to eat some dessert, right? Maybe Nathan doesn't. Who doesn't like to eat dessert and fellowship and drink some coffee and build some relationship? But if we say, oh, service is over and we head out the door, it's not going to happen, right? You guys don't like it? Oh, God. <laughs> Thanks for that confession. We'll bring some vegetables for you. Carrots and broccoli. But also, another form of fellowship that we want to kind of begin to foster in this church, we might call an open house fellowship. It's what we're doing at our house at the end of the month on the 31st, is coming to a home and fellowshipping. Now, I don't know if all of us, if, if the whole church showed up, could fit into one house. We have a big backyard, so we'll put a lot of you in the backyard around the fire pit. We may have a couple different homes open on a, on a given Friday night or Saturday night or Sunday night or something like that, but the fellowship. Now, how does this fit in this message you may be asking about newness? Is we have to do things new in the sense that sometimes 
we don't always want to do some of the things like this because we have business in our life already. And there's certain things that may not be higher priority on our list that we want to move up. Because if the Lord's going to use us in the way that I believe God wants to use us, we have to have depth of relationship like never before. We have to go deeper like never before with the Lord and with each other. Another thing that we'd like to do is, is somehow mix up this Sunday morning service in some ways. We did it, we did it a few weeks ago or, or a month or so ago where we did breakfast in the morning and then we had a short devotion. We broke in groups. Michael spoke a couple weeks ago. He broke everyone up in groups. Not that we always break people up in groups, but what does it look like if, if we came in on Sunday morning and we had this table set up and we had discussion leaders at every table and we're sitting there sipping our coffee and eating our broccoli and um, discussing. Here's what the Word says. What would that look like? It's different. There's other ideas. What would it look like if we gather? We've talked about this before on a Sunday morning. And we say, all right, let's sing a couple songs. Here's $50 to this group. Here's $50 to this group. Here's $50 to this group. Go find a Starbucks or a coffee shop and go buy people coffee. Now, 50 bucks may not buy a lot of coffee, but go buy some people coffee, right? And then go sit at a table, and as you buy them coffee, they say, well, why is it free? Well, that, that group over there decided to buy it for you, and that we would be the church in that way. Why can't we mix it up in some ways? I don't have all the ideas. We have the ideas. God has the ideas of what it might be. Now, it's an investment. It means that Sunday morning may not be Sunday morning like we like, we like sometimes. It may hit our pocketbook in some ways. It will hit our time in some ways. That we, these times, I just want to get home, it's, it's Monday night, and my show's going to be on, and this, this, and this. It may be giving that up just a little bit. It may not. You may be able to do it on a Tuesday night. Also with that, how do we get out in the community in some ways more? We want to be intentional to take a day throughout the month, whether it's a Saturday or a Sunday or a Wednesday night or something, to go out and serve, as I already said, Joe had this idea he was sharing with me, which I think is a great idea, taking a little red wagon, filling it with snacks and drinks and going to the hospital and just going to the waiting room and just going to the waiting room and saying, hey, here's free snacks. We know this is a hard time in your life. We know maybe your loved one's in surgery. Maybe your loved one's getting ready to die. Maybe, maybe it's something else. But here, here's some food. We're just here to bless you. And it may lead into a point of prayer. We're not there to evangelize necessarily. We're just there the power of presence. As, as Michael and I have talked about this some, and we've kind of planned out a couple of the months already, we realize quickly that we need buy-in from everyone in terms of ideas. We need buy-in, period, from everyone in the sense that, hey, we were going to do this. We're going to fellowship and build relationship, but we're also going to go out and be the hands and feet of the church in the community. But my ideas are limited in a lot of ways. I can think of the bigger idea, but then to put some, some I don't know, clothes on it or, or hands and feet on it is not always my strength. When you have ideas and you have these things, these, these thoughts, come and let me know. Because I think God is, is moving us differently as a church. Not just to gather on Sunday morning. Not just to gather and say, hey, we sang our three songs. We, someone got up and spoke. Hey, we're good for the rest of the week. I'll catch you next Sunday. That's not how the early church operated. Now, I know things morph culturally and, and time-wise and stuff like that. But what would things look like? i tell you what the picture is in my mind. We talk about spiritual family, that we are a spiritual family. Sometimes I wonder, how deep is our family? Yes, we are a spiritual family. But can I call up, can you call up someone and say, hey, 
my car's broken down. Can you come give me a ride? I think that's, that happens. Hey, this is happening. But how much greater of a network could we have if we're truly spiritual family? The image in my mind is a family of, of believers who are leaning on each other like never before, that we're doing life together like never before, that we've made the investment to get together in whatever capacity, whatever form that we need to to build deeper family. You know, bless my heart, I didn't even know about the cookie thing until like Wednesday. Um, I know some of you gathered Friday night at Joy's house to, to do cookies, and I think that's just a beautiful thing. That's what I would love to see more. But also that family, not just gathering to, to do cookies, but to say, okay, we did some cookies, now let's go out and let's bless our neighbors. What you guys were fine, I'm not saying you didn't do, didn't do it right. But what would it look like as we would go out and do things together as well? The Lord would build this church in a greater way, and it's not about that. It's about the impact, when I say in a greater way. There's already great impact taking place with this church. We see it at Dartmouth. I know, I know we don't have necessarily anyone coming from Dartmouth, and that's not always the, the, the final thing, but we still have a lot of relationships there. People are still reaching out to us. I think last week there was two or three texts sent during the service by people living there saying, I need prayer, or I need to sit down and talk with you. Ministry's taking place. The Lord has called us to know God and to make him known. We make God known to each other by sharing our lives with each other. I don't have to say look around the room and see the diversity in this room. We know where there's diversity in this room. We are so different, but yet we have such similar culture in some ways. Now take it over when we have different skin colors. We have different backgrounds, cultures, and all that. There is a diversity in this room that we can share with each other that makes God known in deeper ways. The way you pray is different than the way I pray, but I can certainly learn from it. The way that you may go out and serve may be different than the way that I want to serve, but it will stretch me, and I will learn a new way, a new facet of God. That's the beauty of it. And we also make God known in that capacity as well. I read this story this week just as I close here, about this mom and, and daughter who was, I think they, they live in some Asian country, South Asian country, Southeast, Southwest, no, no, South Central Asian country, and, and they are natives of that country, but they have family all over the world. They have family in the U.S., they have family in England. They, they, they could easily get out of the country if they wanted to, but they've chosen to live in this one small little port city, which is really just in the middle middle-of-the-road place from, from two bigger ports where ships stop and the men get off and they stretch their sea legs and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a trafficking, it's a sex trafficking um, city, basically. That's the purpose. It's the whole reason why this little town village exists. But they live in this town and they minister to the women and they minister to the women who get pregnant, encourage them to keep their children and adopting those children. That is their ministry. And, and they said, hey, we could live anywhere we want to in the world. We wouldn't have to struggle. We wouldn't have to fight. We wouldn't have to do the things that we do. We could live a very comfortable life if we wanted to. But we've chosen to do something that's not easy. We've chosen to do something that, that is beyond us. It's even beyond our strength. And, 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 and the end of the article said this. It says, this is a reminder that the way forward is not a way out or a way of escape. It is a way into the life and life God has called us to. And that's what I was thinking about in terms of how God wants to shake, how God wants to bring new life to us individually. 
but also as a church, is it's not a way of escaping anything. It's not a way of running from anything. It's actually running to something. We were on a conference call, and, and the pastor said, hey, sometimes you've got to run like David to your giants. And sometimes that's what we have to do is run like David to our giant, knowing that what we're facing is something God has called us to, to bring his love into a greater capacity of our life, but also into the life of others. We stand at a place where we can extend our past into our future, and we'll stand before God one day, and he'll say, good job. Or we can shift it and allow him to shift it. And I believe we can stand before him, and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servants. I want to be that person. I want all of us to hear that as well. Well done, good and faithful servants. Because you have chosen a road that has not been easy. You have chosen a hard road, but you've chosen the right road. Versus, hey, you chose a road that was, eh, it was okay. And that you did some great things. I want to have great impact. I want us to have great impact. What is the Lord shaking in your life? So Lord, we pray this morning. Have your way with us. Lord, we pray just for this season, this Advent season, the newness that is coming, the newness that it represents, the new life of, of, of you yourself coming into this world. Jesus, we thank you for your ministry that, that just continue to shake things every day, every turn. Lord, have your way with us individually. Lord, I pray that as we come into this season of Advent, that the things, the natural rhythms of our life that may just be holding us back from fully seeing you, Lord, I pray that you reveal those and, and allow us to break those things off. Lord, I also pray for us as we come into this new year, 2018, Father. Help us not to necessarily extend our past into our future, Lord, but to pause and, and to ask, Lord, are there things, is there a direction, is, is there a shift there's something else that you're taking us into, that you're taking me into. Lord, help us not to live fearful lives as we look at those things, but to live lives filled of faith, saying, yes, Lord, if that's where you direct, you can certainly do it. Lord, help us to run to our giants, not away from them. Lord, I pray even for this church that whatever changes, whatever shifting, whatever things that you're shaking, Lord, that as a church we embrace it, Lord. Lord, I pray that we will build deeper relationships with each other, that we will make those investments, that, that when it costs us time, that we embrace it, when it costs us money, that we embrace that, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you send us out into the world, into your peace, into your harvest places, Lord, to be the hands and feet, to love others, to let our light shine, Father. Lord, as it costs us in whatever ways it does, help us to continue to fight to do what you've called us to do. I thank you, Lord, for each person in this church. I thank you for this body. Bless it in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you bless us in this season, Father. Use us as people's hearts are open in this Christmas season to reach out to love, just to, just to be who you've called us to be, agents of change, agents of your love. Bless each person in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good. We are dismissed this morning. We do have coffee. Yep.